Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And when I made a video yesterday on Xbox's PR Blitz to try to get their deal, their pending potentially $68.5 billion acquisition of Activision and Blizzard King across the regulatory finish line at both the United States and European levels, well, I had no idea what they were going to hit us with at about 11 p.m., Eastern Standard Time, which is something of a bit of controversy on social media. We'll talk about that as part of this video because this is the 52nd video in the Microsoft Times Activision playlist. Yes, we have a full deck, a full deck of cards for video purposes of this particular topic covering everything from the very beginning, the announcement, all the way through to today. And that means we've done more than one per week on average since this deal was announced. Just crazy. But the announcements made yesterday are just crazy enough to need the kind of coverage we're going to give it. But before we do, I do want to remind folks that this is a viewer and listener supported channel. We've got a Utreon and a Patreon platform available for your support. We also have YouTube memberships if you prefer the live content on this channel. If you like this stuff, please like, subscribe, do all that stuff, but also consider supporting the channel at one of these platforms, just like Lady Emily has done, and she's the sponsor of this particular episode. Special thanks to her. You can be a sponsor, too, if you check out those platforms. Many thanks, Lady Emily, and let's get on with what the big news of the day is. So Phil Spencer, the head of Xbox Gaming, put out a tweet, as you can see highlighted on your screen right now, at 11.12 p.m. yesterday night, and this tweet was an important one. It says the following, Microsoft has entered into a 10-year commitment to bring Call of Duty to Nintendo following the merger of Microsoft and Activision Blizzard King, which is obviously still pending. Microsoft is committed to helping bring more games to more people, however they choose to play. And then they also at Activision Blizzard as part of this announcement. Now that's a big enough deal on its own. Phil also had another tweet to add. I'm also pleased to confirm that Microsoft has committed to continue to offer Call of Duty on Steam simultaneously to Xbox after we've closed that very same merger with Activision. Now, the big ticket item is the first because Call of Duty is currently already being sold on Steam, but we will have things to say about that because, well, Steam has some very important language that they put into their own commentary that could be very useful to Microsoft in the long run. But we have to discuss Nintendo overall. First and foremost, like I said, there have been folks that have sent me DMs and messages and said 11, 12 p.m., they're getting desperate. Even the New York Times article we're going to take a look at here will use that 11th hour paradigm to suggest a certain amount of desperation as Microsoft evaluates regulators that could scuttle their deal, etc., etc. Well, in terms of this particular hour, it didn't surprise me much. Here's a particular tweet you see on that because if you do the math at home and you consider it's not 11.15 in Redmond, Washington, where Microsoft is headquartered, it's in fact 8.15, and you compare that Japan, Nintendo headquarters, is 17 hours ahead of the Washington or Pacific time zone area, well then, something that happens at 8 p.m. in the Pacific is going to be 1 p.m. Nintendo time. So we're talking about something that occurs during the business day, and as I said to someone on social media, having worked on international transactions, it's those particular transactions that always wind up with weird two in the morning conference calls or five in the morning announcements and closings, depending on which direction you're going and who you're working with. So I have to say, the fact that this is announced at 11.15 or so p.m. isn't of terrible interest to me vis-a-vis -vis some kind of desperation, but it does suggest that Phil Spencer and Microsoft wanted this news to be made public 
basically as soon as the ink was dry. And there is ink on this. That's another aspect of the deal that I think some folks are reporting wrongly that this is somehow not an actual true obligation or agreement because they don't yet own Activision. It is. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But first, we have to discuss Nintendo because Nintendo is a very interesting player in this discussion despite having said nothing themselves. Why is that? Well, the story kind of begins when Brazil approved of this deal. We went through this particular document in this space on this playlist, but they make a very important and I think pretty strong argument here in paragraph 341. Don't be a lawyer, kids. And that goes as follows. With the acquisition of a publisher as important as Activision Blizzard and considering the theoretical risk of the company's content becoming exclusive to Xbox, it is likely that the eventual conclusion of the transaction will give Microsoft a considerable competitive advantage in the segment of consoles. Now note, having an advantage in the segment of consoles is not in and of itself illegal. It's having an unfair advantage, something untowards that we don't like under the antitrust jurisprudence that all these various jurisdictions are looking at. Even so, this regulatory body, SGK, does not see that such an advantage represents a risk of closing this market to current competitors. Remember, Sony's argument, the CMA's argument, we're gonna see those in just a minute, is basically that the real risk, the reason that they can potentially block this deal or ask for significant concessions is that if Microsoft holds, in particular, the game franchise Call of Duty back from its rivals, then those rivals will be unable to compete in one or more market segments that are being delineated by these regulatory bodies. That could be console sales, that could be Game Pass subscriptions or the subscription market in general, and that could be cloud gaming services. And there are issues with those markets all across the board. But one major problem for the argument in general is that Nintendo exists. Or as Cade says, as already seen, Nintendo does not currently depend on any content from Activision Blizzard to compete in the market. In turn, Sony has several attributes, strength of the leading brand in the world market for more than 20 years, extensive experience in the sector, largest user base, largest installed base of consoles, robust catalog of exclusive games, partnerships with multiple publishers, third party, brand loyal customers, etc., which should contribute to maintaining PlayStation's competitiveness in a possible post-operation scenario, even in the face of eventual loss of access to Activision Blizzard content. Now, Kate isn't saying that that will happen. And they have a number of paragraphs on this, but we're trying to shorten this to less than an hour as a virtual legality episode. Here, they say Nintendo exists. Nintendo survives. Nintendo is actually thriving. And they don't have the same access to Activision Blizzard material as even Sony does right now. So if Sony were to be foreclosed from that material in the future, they could find a way. It might not be the same way they have right now. might not be the way that they would want if they had $70 billion to spend. But they could find a way, and we as regulatory body in Brazil are not responsible for picking winners and losers here. Go fight your fight. We like competition. We're interested in seeing how you compete in this scenario, as Nintendo has done, by brand differentiating. Microsoft picks up that ball and runs with it when they start responding to the CMA and other regulatory bodies. Here they point out in their response to the CMA, Nintendo is the largest publisher globally. They publish many of the industry's most iconic franchises, Super Mario, The Legend of Zelda, Pokemon and Donkey Kong. First-party titles account for a huge percentage of their spend. This is all clipped out. And as Call of Duty is not currently shipped on the Nintendo Switch, no foreclosure concerns can arise, even hypothetically, in relation to Nintendo. So we're going to spend our entire document focusing on Sony, highlighting the fact that we can't foreclose Nintendo because there's nothing to foreclose from them. And look at how popular they already are. 
Now, they double down on this. They say similarly highly successful gaming platforms like Nintendo and Steam have prospered without access to Call of Duty. Nintendo and Steam are, of course, the publishers and the distribution sources that we just discussed as part of Phil's Twitter storm there. To tweet Twitter storm, that still counts, right? And they put that to the CMA. Why? Because the CMA is going to find at the phase one level that they don't necessarily believe this line of argument. They say the following... In relation to the party's submissions that Nintendo is successful without offering Call of Duty titles on its console, the CMA, and this is the United Kingdom's regulatory body, considers that this is likely due to its differentiated hardware and content that is generally targeted at a family-friendly audience. The CMA believes that the availability of a few games exhibiting violence, such as Postal Redux, does not undermine its conclusion that most of Nintendo's content appeals to a different customer segment. In addition, the CMA notes that one of the reasons for the lack of Call of Duty's availability on Nintendo suggested by the parties is because the Nintendo Switch is not technically capable of supporting the latest version of Call of Duty, which the CMA considers is further evidence that Nintendo is not as close a rival to PlayStation or Xbox. As such, the CMA does not consider that Nintendo's current success is sufficient evidence to show that Sony does not require access on competitive terms to Activision Blizzard King's content in order to compete against Microsoft. Now, this is a silly argument. I said this when the CMA made it. Nintendo is, in fact, a part of the gaming industry. We'll get back to this. We've got some stuff to talk about in detail vis-a-vis how Sony operates, how Nintendo operates. But Sony takes this and runs with it, as you would expect, right? We're not going to begrudge them. Hey, they see a regulatory body put in a paragraph like this, and they run with that paragraph. They say, while ignoring the facts above, which we're not going to go into, Microsoft argues that Nintendo has been successful without access to Call of Duty. This misses the point, says Sony. The decision identifies a wide body of evidence showing that Nintendo offers a differentiated experience to Xbox and PlayStation because it is focused on family-friendly games that are very different from Peggy 18 FPS games like Call of Duty. Peggy, of course, being the UK's ESRB equivalent. This is supported by Microsoft's internal documents, which, so the CMA found, show that in general, Microsoft's internal documents track PlayStation more closely than Nintendo, with Nintendo often being absent from any internal competitive assessment. And this isn't without importance. You can take this stuff under advisement. But in order to talk about this robustly, you have to eliminate Nintendo from the gaming industry because if they're a player at all, we're not supposed to be in the business of separating by genre, right? Differentiated hardware, maybe, although that's not the strongest argument as we just saw the CMA make because they said, well, they can't even run it. And yet we'll take a look at cloud gaming alternatives on Nintendo Switch that clearly other publishers have decided are worthwhile to present to that very large market and audience. Microsoft claims that Nintendo's differentiated model demonstrates that PlayStation does not need Call of Duty to compete effectively, but this reveals Microsoft's true strategy. I always like a good uh, mind-reading paragraph. Microsoft wants PlayStation to become like Nintendo so that it would be a less close and less effective competitor to Xbox. Post-transaction, Xbox would become the one-stop shop for all the best-selling shooter franchises on console. Call of Duty, Halo, Gears of War, Doom, and Overwatch. Now, there are a whole host of problems with this parenthetical, not the least of which is that Well, Gears of War isn't a first-person shooter, uh, but Call of Duty has a a free-to-play component. Overwatch has a free-to-play component. We'll come back to Sony's PlayStation Store in just a second. As the decision explains, and it would then be free from serious competitive pressure. So the Sony argument here is that Nintendo, you're very, very right, CMA, very different from what we're talking about. Not a part of the gaming industry at all. We should only be looking at Microsoft and Sony for this purpose, and they would have Call of Duty, Halo, Gears of War, Doom, and Overwatch. And that would be 
every best-selling shooter franchise. And while that might be in terms of sales, although Overwatch is an interesting inclusion, because of, of course, Overwatch most recently just went free to play. If you actually go and you look at the PlayStation Store, and this is just the all best-selling games right now, you see here in this first square, a little game by the name of Fortnite. You also see, in, as part of these best-selling games, other games. Yes, you see Modern Warfare. Yes, you see Overwatch 2. You also see Apex Legends from Electronic Arts. You also see Destiny 2, which is a very interesting inclusion because who makes money when Destiny makes money? Well, as of this year, that's Sony because Sony owns Bungie. They bought it here in the top 15 of sales or revenues or however this is actually framed by however this filter works behind the scenes. You also see Ubisoft representing Rainbow Six Siege. And I don't need to go on, I don't think, because this is a very reductive list of what is successful in the current marketplace when everybody who follows this industry knows that free-to-play and battle royale is greatly more appreciated by the market right this second than the old-school arena shooter. Now, what, might that change? Absolutely. There's dynamism in this industry every single year, but it is reductive to suggest that Microsoft making Call of Duty exclusive somehow makes them a one-stop shop for shooters when... Heck, both Nintendo and Sony have Fortnite, and there are other shooters in the industry. But that's just a part of the puzzle. So right now, what we have is Nintendo is special, right? Nintendo has become a focal point for one of the strongest arguments to allow the deal to go through, which is effectively that Sony, who is basically the only opponent of this deal in the industry, the regulators can, of course, make their own determinations without industry insight. But in the industry, Sony's the only one fighting against this deal. And the primary opposition is based around the fact that they say, well, we can't live without Call of Duty. So Nintendo says, yeah, we can live. Or Nintendo doesn't say it. Sony says it on their uh, behalf. Microsoft says it on their behalf. CMA says it on their behalf. A lot of people talking for Nintendo here. And in that particular moment in time, Nintendo enters into an agreement with Microsoft. Now, the very first thing I want to say about this, folks, is that Nintendo is not stupid. Nintendo is most certainly aware of what is happening with respect to Microsoft and Activision Blizzard. Now, Call of Duty, other Activision titles that might otherwise come to the Nintendo Switch or the Nintendo Switch successor, more on that in a minute, are undoubtedly beneficial to have on the Nintendo platforms. Nintendo has a big audience. Nintendo can sell some of those copies of Call of Duty or whatever other Activision game might come over. And as part of that, they can make money doing it. But, but had they said, no, we're not interested in these kinds of agreements, much like Sony appears to be doing behind the scenes, and we'll get to that as well, then they could be seen as positioning themselves as having a problem with this deal. Instead, they have positioned themselves in the opposite. They either don't care about the deal going through or they're actively in favor of it, which is something we'll be discussing on the Steam side when we get to the commentary made by Steam. Nintendo, not stupid. They know how this looks and they know that this makes it more likely, at least on the margins, however you feel about the deal and its chances, to go through after they sign on to this agreement. Now, what is this agreement actually? Well, the Washington Post got an interview with Phil Spencer last night, clearly getting the tip off that this was happening since this was posted about two minutes after that tweet, entitled, Microsoft says it will be bringing Call of Duty to Nintendo. Microsoft has signed a deal to bring the Activision Blizzard published Call of Duty franchise to the Nintendo Switch for the first time. The company announced Tuesday night pending approval of its acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Now, first and foremost, the actual tweet here doesn't talk about the Nintendo Switch talks about Nintendo in general, and there are some open questions as to what console we might even be talking about 
by the time this kind of development would come to fruition, but we'll allow it from the Washington Post. Nintendo Switch is certainly the current Nintendo system. Here's what Phil has to say about all this. You can imagine if the deal closed on that date, starting to do development work to make that happen would likely take a little bit of time, referring to the June 2023 date the merger is supposed to close, which again is the end date where we expect that it will have closed, but that's fine. Once we get into the rhythm of this, our plan would be that when a Call of Duty game launches on PlayStation, Xbox, and PC, that would also be available on Nintendo at the same time. And note how smart he is being with his language here, however you might feel about him otherwise. He includes PlayStation first before Xbox on that list, right? This is clearly a practiced kind of public relations statement. Hey, when will it come out? Well, when we release it on PlayStation, first on the list from the head of games of Xbox. That is, that is a coached kind of phrasing there. Uh, as a lover of corporate messaging and an analyzer of the same, I, I love seeing this, uh, but it is certainly pretty transparent uh, that that's the message that he wants to go out there with. He also has asked about technical difficulties with respect to the Switch. Minecraft and Call of Duty are different games, but from how you get games on a Nintendo, how you run a development team that is targeting multiple platforms, that's an experience that we have. We would do this with Minecraft as well, where we would do specific work to make the game run well on Nintendo Switch and their silicon and support their platform completely. We'll get these things running on whatever Nintendo we have, but obviously if it is a much lesser spec than some of the other platforms, you can only get things ported as well as you can. It's just about picking an expiration date, talking here about the 10 years, not with the goal of ever expiring, but just like the legalese of a document that has to say this goes through some day. Now understand, you've heard this from me a lot, either on social media or in virtual reality, where I said companies can't agree to perpetual contracts because they can't bind themselves to futures unknown. That is what Phil is saying here. Phil is effectively saying, look, we're going to invest for a decade. It's our intent to just re-up these contracts when they come up, but companies can't just enter into perpetual genie wish contracts because that's no way to run a railroad. And so we pick a date that is going to involve investment of both sides for a long period of time. And then chances are we're entrenched by the time we get there. Or as he says, once we start working with a platform, just like we have with Minecraft, both on PlayStation and on Nintendo's platform, no, he doesn't say switch there. Our goal would be to continue to support those customers. They have no desire to stop making money. They're trying to establish that there is an economic benefit here. He continues at the end, he added that he wanted to show, and I think this is probably one of the most important pieces of this, major industry partners like Nintendo and Valve that agreements can be reached even if Sony does not accept. Maybe some aura gets put around our words that maybe they're not genuine. That when you have a company like Nintendo or a company like Valve believing in our commitment and reaching agreement with Nintendo on something like this, we think it's an important point to have out in the market. So folks have asked me since this went live about 12 or 13 hours ago, what is the purpose of this? And I've talked about one of the purposes. It's to establish that Nintendo is a piece of this industry. It is to isolate that Sony is acting either irrationally or that we shouldn't believe their claims that they have to have this game to participate in the market. It is to establish that Microsoft can enter into these agreements. And as Phil Spencer says here, it's to point out that we do what we say, right? This is a reaction, I think, in part to some of the stuff we saw from their New York Times article this past couple of weeks, which had a story about the CWA going to the Federal Trade Commission and saying, hey, look, we're in favor of this deal because we've signed on to a neutrality agreement for collective bargaining with Microsoft, and that's important to us. So let this deal go through. So Chris Shelton of the CWA goes to the FTC and says this, according to the New York Times, and then he tells the New York Times 
that the FTC told him a lot of companies promise a lot of things and then they never keep their promises. He said he told the agency that the agreement was rock solid and in writing. So this is one of those areas where you can see at least somebody at the Federal Trade Commission, according to Chris Shelton, the president of the CWA, is reluctant to believe anything that Microsoft is doing here. And I don't necessarily blame anybody for looking at a PR campaign like Microsoft has been engaged in for a year, which is now coming to fruition this week, and saying, well, yes, it's in their best interest. None of this is necessarily something that we have to believe is is valuable right now. But Phil Spencer and Microsoft clearly have a game plan right this second, and it is to show the world that they can be trusted, which is why the Steam quote that I'm going to highlight at the end of this video is actually perhaps more important than getting this signed commitment. But that's what Phil Spencer says to the Washington Post in the other major paper of record in the United States. We've got a kind of different tack in reporting on this particular deal. So the New York Times also went out with a story entitled Microsoft to offer Call of Duty on Nintendo devices if Activision deal closes. Now, this is interesting, right? This is framing what is undoubtedly a conditional commitment, specifically as conditional. If we're just reading this headline and trying to take knowledge from it, it looks like it's a little bit less certain than I would argue it is most likely to be. We'll get to that when they describe this more completely, but I want to point that out because unlike some of the other places that are reporting on this, this kind of echoes some of the statements I've seen on social media that this isn't real, that it isn't a real obligation, even though Phil Spencer is going out there and saying that we've entered into a commitment. The move appears to be an olive branch to the Federal Trade Commission, which could vote to block the $69 billion acquisition in a closed-door session on Thursday. They could vote to try. Right. As we've talked about, the Federal Trade Commission is not the final arbiter of this, and Microsoft has already indicated to places like Bloomberg that they will fight it in court if it comes to it. New York Times further establishes the following framework for what just happened last night. In a last-minute attempt to placate antitrust regulators, Microsoft said on Tuesday night that it would bring the blockbuster video game franchise Call of Duty to Nintendo devices if its $69 billion acquisition of the game's maker, Activision Blizzard, was completed. Now this is full-on editorializing right? Why is this happening? Is it last minute? Is it an attempt to placate antitrust regulators? Is it just going and trying to establish what it is that you say will be what it is that you do? Maybe. I don't know. It's definitely something that comes across as part of the PR campaign in the past couple of days, which both included that the FTC intends to sue to block the deal from Politico and from the New York Post that one of the commissioners wasn't on board. And if they aren't on board, well, then there's no vote to be won in terms of suing Microsoft. So they've gone all in on trying to convince regulators that this is something that they should avoid. We've talked about the legal uh, prospects of this and how the Federal Trade Commission would be extending long past what you would have in traditional antitrust analysis, that it would be a very difficult case to win if the other side chose to fight it. We've talked about all of that. And yet, while I think this is editorializing to describe this in this way, it's not wrong to suggest that Microsoft is trying to appease someone and who they're trying to appease is almost certainly the Federal Trade Commission when they do something like this. Many in the video game industry expect the Federal Trade Commission to discuss the acquisition in a closed-door session scheduled for Thursday. The commission could vote on whether to file a lawsuit in an effort to block the deal. Regulators are primarily focused on concerns that consumers would be harmed if Microsoft, which makes the Xbox console, withheld Activision games from competitors or unfairly leveraged Activision's popular titles as more video games were streamed online. Unfairly leveraged is a kind of weighted phrase, right? What does that mean? 
Are you allowed to purchase exclusives like Sony has throughout its history? Are you allowed to purchase game companies like both Microsoft and Sony have been doing extensively in the past few years? Are you allowed to purchase a publisher as big as Activision? Are those shareholders allowed to make money on the purchase? Or are they destined to just simply be sitting out there essentially too successful to be bought by a major industry player? We don't know. But what is unfair is going to be in the eye of the beholder, and that's what I've tried to communicate through now 52 episodes of this playlist. The 10-year deal to bring future releases of Call of Duty to Switch video game devices made by Nintendo, one of Microsoft's rivals, is part of Microsoft's efforts to signal that it wouldn't block the popular game from devices made by other companies, right? The New York Times are the first to leak that they had offered this 10-year deal to Sony, and Sony does not appear to have entered into kind of good faith negotiations with Microsoft, or at least we haven't heard of them. Microsoft also announced it would continue its commitment to release Call of Duty with Valve, the maker of the Steam distribution platform, which is popular with gamers who play on personal computers rather than game consoles. Call of Duty's latest release is already available on Steam, which doesn't really tell the whole story. Call of Duty was pulled from Steam for a long period of time and only returned for Modern Warfare 2 right now. Phil gives a quote to New York Times here. There's been some question about whether what we are saying is actually how we're acting, mirroring what we just heard in the Washington Post. And I think having two major industry partners kind of show that our intent is real and that we can reach agreements is an important thing in this time. That we aren't just faking about what we can do with Sony and that if there is a bad actor with Sony, this is what Microsoft wants to project. This is why this happens last night. Then it's Sony that is the bad actor, right? The 10-year offer, everything that we have seen in the past few weeks, after we started analyzing, especially the most recent CMA statements have been an effort by Microsoft to put Sony in a box. You say that you can't exist without Call of Duty. Let's promise it to you for what amounts to forever in tech terms. Yes, it's only 10 years, and that isn't a long period of time in the lifespan of the earth, but it is a long period of time in the world of technology and specifically in the world of video games. Let's offer that to you. Let's have you reject that. Sony says, we can't be reached for comment. We're not going to accept this. And we'll talk about exactly why not when we get to the end of this video. But Sony's not going to accept. Microsoft would have been wise to know that beforehand. I assume that they did. And so going to Nintendo, going to Steam, Steam also a rival for distribution platforms, potentially on the the PC ecosystem, right? Microsoft has a store. Microsoft could pull things and try to move it through Battle.net like Activision used to do or through their Windows store or some other new store that they could develop. Microsoft certainly has the wherewithal to attempt that. They are negotiating directly with rivals in the console space, rivals in the games distribution space, and they would be willing, so they present, to negotiate with the other rival in the console space, Sony. And it's difficult to not believe them on this, especially when the economics tend to line up. Gabe Newell says, we're happy that Microsoft wants to continue using Steam to reach customers with Call of Duty. When their Activision acquisition closes, Microsoft's been on Steam for a long time, and we take it as a signal that they are happy with gamers' reception to that and the work we are doing. Now, the New York Times doesn't keep what appears to be the important part of this comment. Kotaku does, but we'll get to that towards the end of the video. Nintendo doesn't have any comment. And then for Nintendo, here's where the New York Times really separates from reality, but also echoes important to note what the CMA said about Nintendo and its position in the video game industry. For Nintendo... Adding a violent first-person shooter game like Call of Duty to the host of titles available to play on the Switch would be an uncommon departure. Hold that note. The company has long been protective of the playful family-friendly branding it has developed over decades through iconic franchises like Mario, Pokemon, and The Legend of Zelda, though it does offer some more mature games and other Nintendo devices have hosted Call of Duty. (laughs) 
So not only do you have a kind of weird logic here to say it would be weird to add Call of Duty, uh, but it should be noted that there were Call of Duties as, as late as a decade ago or so on Nintendo platforms. But if we actually go and we look at what Nintendo does, well, it's very interesting, right? Nintendo adding a violent first-person shooter game like Call of Duty would be an uncommon departure. Well, let's go to the stats here, folks, right? Here is the eShop. I love my Switch. I look at the eShop page a lot here, and I've got just one filter on. I've got the filter Mature Games. Now, before we even get into the details here, it's worthwhile to note that for ESRB ratings, this is the United States, not the UK, uh, there are 1,461 entries for Mature Games in the Nintendo ecosystem. The Nintendo Switch has been out for about five years, uh, and so... This is a lot of games for five years, just on a maturity level basis. But perhaps more importantly, if we look at number one here, this is Bayonetta 3. Now, Bayonetta as a game has unfortunately been a common kind of guest in virtual reality as we dealt with the voice actor claims and other aspects of Bayonetta 3's release. But importantly to note, Bayonetta 3 is a Nintendo game. Now, I know it doesn't say that on the tin. I know it doesn't say that uh, on the instruction booklet or the box that you might get. But if you actually look at the history of Bayonetta, you can see, as reported on by Nintendo Life here, discussing Hideki Kamiya's conversations, that Bayonetta 2 and Bayonetta 3 are Nintendo-funded. That's why they are exclusive to Nintendo systems. So while Nintendo doesn't want to have its name on this violent, somewhat sexualized shooter in Bayonetta... It is, in fact, the case that much like the Disney of old, Nintendo uses third-party publishers like Touchstone Pictures or anything else to put forth games exclusive to their system that they fund that are on a mature level. So yes, Nintendo, much better known for Mario and Donkey Kong and Pokemon and all this good stuff that I happen to love, has long since passed the time period when they didn't put stuff on like Bayonetta 3, or perhaps you prefer the Elves Christmas Hentai Puzzle. I heard it's a good one. Maybe you should check that one out. Or Sakura Succubus number six. Who knows? Don't know that one. Could be excellent. Perhaps you'd prefer to get your business on with Weedcraft Inc. on the Nintendo Switch or other games, right? Here's Resident Evil Village Cloud, which I promised we would talk about a little bit in terms of the technical impacts of these games. Yes, you can put games on through the cloud on Nintendo, which also seems to be something that could be a symbiosis between Microsoft and Nintendo. So all of these arguments that you hear from a New York Times article that appears to have been written in the early 1990s regarding what's on Nintendo systems, all falls by the wayside, right? The CMA's argument here is silly. Yes, they try to have a brand differentiation. They prefer family-friendly games, and that's what they make individually, but they certainly fund non-family-friendly games outside of the Nintendo wheelhouse, and every one of these consoles has brand differentiation. Why do you think PlayStation is busy making a, well, very highly priced virtual reality headset while Microsoft was busy making Game Pass. They're all trying to differentiate from each other in various ways. Microsoft says, hmm, we'll try a recurring revenue subscription model. Nintendo says, we're going to focus on family-friendly games and trying to resell you cardboard to make houses and their own goggles out of. PlayStation goes for boutique games. They want third-person, over-the-shoulder, solo-played action-adventure titles with way more cinematics than are necessary to tell the story and with ridiculously high levels of polish. These are brand differentiators, and every single industry has them. So when we talk about this, when we talk about Nintendo, there's a lot of essentially old reporting going on, aided by Sony, aided by the UK, 
and the CMA, but it's still a surprise to see a paragraph like this in the actual New York Times, which you can look at. And by the time you say a violent first-person shooter game like Call of Duty would be an uncommon departure and you don't go and you find Doom on their system already or however many various Japanese cartoon girls games that are already on the Nintendo eShop, I don't know that you're doing the research necessary to have a good conversation about this. This continues for a number of paragraphs, by the way. Nintendo has built an empire marketing lovable candy-colored characters, etc. Yes, we know how Nintendo brands itself, but all of these platforms are engaged in the gaming industry. So at bare minimum, what is Phil Spencer? What is Satya Nadella? What is Brad Smith? What does everybody at corporate Microsoft want to do with an announcement like last night's? They want to make clear that when the CMA says Nintendo basically isn't a part of gaming, that they are wrong, that they are very wrong. And that is a part of everything that we are seeing right now. Now, Microsoft also takes a bit of a, I don't know, victory lap, shade throwing lap. Here's Brad Smith of the Wall Street Journal Opinion editorial, the president of governmental relations, the guy that we are getting rumors and reports is going to be discussing directly with the Federal Trade Commissioners about which way they should take their vote and why the Microsoft deal is good. Perhaps this week before that vote, he comes out with a very spicy tweet. Our acquisition will bring Call of Duty to more gamers and more platforms than ever before. That's good for competition and good for consumers. Thank you, Nintendo. Any day Sony wants to sit down and talk, We'll be happy to hammer out a 10-year deal for PlayStation as well. Similarly, the head of communications for Xbox said to Phil Spencer's tweet, waking up this morning in DC, happy face emoji. And you see Microsoft kind of crowing out there, which I understand can rub certain people the wrong way. But Sony basically advanced this ball when they said there was no concession that would be good enough for them, right? Sony goes in to the CMA a few weeks ago and says the only way to preserve robust competition and protect consumers and developers is to ensure that Activision remains independently owned and controlled. They escalated this fight and now Microsoft is fighting with basically everything that it's got against them, which is interesting in and of itself. But lastly, I wanted to leave you off with this. I've mentioned Steam, right? And certainly a lot of these documents, the CMA's document, the European Commission's document, the CADE document have talked a little bit about PC gaming. Mostly they are separating it off from console gaming and distribution as equally as they're separating it off from mobile gaming. Uh, But Steam is a potential rival competitor within the PC distribution space. And the actual note that Gabe Newell gives on this as highlighted in Kotaku is perhaps more valuable than actually signing on to the contract. Before we get there, I do want to point out, I think this is a good story from Kotaku, but they do get this one thing wrong. It's important to note that these, what Phil Spencer says is vis-a-vis commitments, are just pledges aimed at greasing some wheels and looking better in the eyes of those skeptical governments. Spencer won't be in a position to actually do this unless the Activision purchase goes through. This is a very reductive and I would argue probably erroneous interpretation of what a conditional commitment actually is, right? Phil Spencer doesn't own Activision right now. Phil won't, Uh, Xbox doesn't either own Activision. But you can 100% enter into an agreement that obligates your entity based on a condition precedent, based on something that has to happen first in the future. If you really think about it, that's what this merger agreement that we've been talking about since January actually is. When we say it hasn't closed yet, what does that mean? Nobody has an obligation to sell their company. Nobody has an obligation to pay near $70 billion. Why? 
because there are conditions before that obligation is actually met, including regulatory approval. But if all of those conditions are met, well, then that contract is as solid as oak, as we just saw from Elon Musk being forced to buy Twitter after considering potentially suing over the issue in Delaware. If those conditions are met, that's an obligation. What Microsoft has said here is that we signed a real document that says as long as this condition is met, we will expend the resources, we will work with you, whatever else is in that particular contract to get Call of Duty on your systems based on whatever the terms and conditions of this particular agreement are. But the fact that it is conditional does not remotely make it a mere pledge aimed at greasing some wheels. And that I think is a very confusing point for some people on social media and even some of the outlets that I have seen reported on this. They cannot tell you what Activision will do before they own it. They can promise as Microsoft that they will do X, Y, and Z if and when we own Activision Blizzard. So that is a distinction I think is very important. But getting back to the final point here, Gabe Newell, the head of Steam, the head of Valve, goes forth and says exactly what we saw quoted uh, in these very uh, various articles. We're very happy that they're happy with us. But here is what I would argue is more important, right? We've got the New York Times article that says, well, you know, collective bargaining agreements, neutrality agreements, they're not worth the paper they're printed on. Companies welch on those all the time. You've got other people saying, well, it's just words and, and Microsoft isn't to be trusted. Here's what Steam, here's what Gabe Newell has to say. Microsoft offered and even sent us a draft agreement for a long-term Call of Duty commitment, but it wasn't necessary for us. Understand, by the way, that what was just reported was that it's just pledges aimed at greasing some wheels. It is a conditional agreement that they sent over in draft form. So there could have been some negotiation, uh, but they sent over a document to be signed that would obligate their company to expend resources in some fashion. But Gabe Newell at Valve says, no, we don't need it. One, why? Because we're not believers in requiring any partner to have an agreement that locks them to shipping games on Steam into the distant future. This is the language that Steam, a rival of Microsoft's and a party of the industry in video games, is saying, not just to Kotaku, not just to the Washington Post or the New York Times, or even to us, but to the regulators. 10 years in tech terms is the distant future. And we honestly, at Steam, view a 10-year commitment on video games to be way too long, right? Now, I run a company that makes games and distributes them on various platforms. So... The distant future is a strong bit of language here. We don't want to lock people in for that long. And if asked, you would expect him to say the same thing about government covenants. We wouldn't want the government to lock us in for that long, and we wouldn't want them to lock Microsoft in for that long. Next, and perhaps most importantly, highlighted in red, Phil and the games team at Microsoft have always followed through on what they told us they would do. So we trust their intentions, right? One of the things Sony has said is that Microsoft are lying to you. Throughout this document from Sony, there's any number of reasons to believe that they aren't telling the truth about their intentions. And I do think, I have said this in videos, that Microsoft goes a bit too far with statements like we would never ever have any incentive to keep Call of Duty off the PlayStation platform. They, they go too far trying to make their case as strong as possible. I tend to agree with that critique, but Sony spends page after page, document after document, saying they are not to be trusted. And one of the major players in the industry, the biggest player on the PC side of things, goes and says, Microsoft is to be trusted. We don't need an agreement because we trust them. Finally, we think Microsoft has all the motivation they need 
to be on the platforms and devices where Call of Duty customers want to be. So in three separate statements, for whatever reason, which are not included by the New York Times, which I think is its own editorial decision because they clearly have the top end of this kind of comment, they say at Valve, Gabe Newell says, we don't believe that this is warranted for 10 years. That's the distant future. They always do what they say they're going to do. And we believe that the economics here point to a world in which they put it where it needs to be, which if you're reading this as a regulatory body would include Sony. Microsoft has told you that they think that their economics, the economics of the deal requires them to keep the game on Sony. They've indicated that they're willing to have a long-term commitment with Sony. And here is Gabe Newell at Valve saying, well, they're Call of Duty players on Sony. We think Microsoft is going to keep it there. This is a very strong statement without having to say so written in support of Microsoft's position on this deal. And honestly, I'm a bit surprised that Gabe Newell and Steam went as far as they did here. So in terms of wins for Microsoft, this is about as big a day as you can have. I've seen people comment and say this is a PR stunt. There is no question that this is public relations motivated. Is that out of desperation? Is that because they think that they can flip this final FTC commissioner and just be solid on that and move forward with the concessions that they're already agreeing to with other people. We can't say for certain, but while it is public relations oriented, I think to be a stunt, it kind of has to be hollow or useless or maybe disingenuous. And I don't see any of that here. Microsoft wants to take Call of Duty. They want to treat it like Minecraft and they are putting their money where their mouth is by trying to agree with everybody on earth that they are going to put Call of Duty on all of these various platforms. Because honestly, what they really want is to differentiate Game Pass. And while they aren't, presumably, negotiating to keep Call of Duty off of their Game Pass service as part of these agreements, they are saying that you will have access to Call of Duty on the platform of your choice should you so want it. So this is a big piece of news. Nintendo, maybe ironically, certainly unintentionally, the centerpiece keystone of Microsoft's presumably last effort before the Federal Trade Commissioners actually vote outside of sending Brad Smith to talk with them directly. And it is a very interesting moment in time here because it's very rare, folks, that you get to see a company of Microsoft's size move with this kind of speediness, move with this kind of agility to go and try to evidence for the world and more specifically for the regulators that they mean what they say. So I got people in my DMs talking to me about it all day and all night. I would say enjoy it, folks. Even if you're not a Microsoft fan, let's say you're the biggest Sony fan in the world. It's rare that you get to see a company do this and you can watch it in real time here on the Virtual Legality channel. If you do enjoy these episodes and talks about the law, business, of video game, software, pop culture, and more, please consider supporting us. As I mentioned at the top of this video, we've got support platforms and Utreon and Patreon, all of which are a great way to say you like this and you'd like to see more of it, including through sponsoring a specific episode in a given month, like Lady Emily did today. Special thanks, very special thanks to Lady Emily for continuing to support the channel. Thank you so, so much. And if none of those are attractive to you, just subscribing, telling your friends, posting these videos on forums, on Twitter, wherever else you might find yourself, Every little bit helps make YouTube like us, make us more well-known, and hopefully have more and more of these discussions. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, 
please consult your own legal counsel.